From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a a wonderful, depending on where you are. We, of course, have commented that we've got Daryl at the airport. We have Zach in Austin. Uh, We've got Matt Gorman in Halifax, and we have me sitting here in Los Angeles. My name is Gigi Johnson, and I'm going to make all sorts of snippy, snide, fabulous comments as we go, as I'm an ex-banker. And so looking at this topic of talking about NFTs, digital rights, and all sorts of other fun stuff has my hackles up as well as very enthusiastic to make sure that you guys are all in the right headspace, protected, and all that fun stuff. So I'm really glad that Matt Gorman here, who is of counsel at Cox and Palmer, and as well as if you go looking for him online, you'll find Ocean Tour Music, as well oh, as Ocean a, Town Music. Ocean Town. <laughs> I'm messing that up. My own hand. Ocean Tour could now. be cool, though. Ocean Tour Music. I we've mean. held that URL, so we've got that going now. <laughs> um, as well as he has a now being updated, but not yet updated legal guide to musicians out there. But we're going to talk today about the digital, the NFT, and probably not go too far down the rabbit hole. But I'd like you guys, just first of all, before we get started, before Matt gets started, to help us out in the chat and put in the chat. Um, on a range of one to five, five being I rock NFTs, I sell NFTs, I buy NFTs, one being I have no idea what you're talking about, and put in the chat one to five, where are you in NFT headspace? Um, so, you know, do you, one is an NFT stands for what? And five is I rock the space. So where are we? <clears throat> That's and a twos Sam, and under twos. And a 1.5. Stay within one decimal point. Don't head down that rabbit hole too. You get a lot of twos. I would expect Lionel will be a 3.5 or higher. Okay, because we're trying to figure how much do we need to set the table? Because there's been, thanks to Indie Week and all of its great events, lots of different um, buffets to sit at to understand NFTs. Nobody's five. So if anybody has bought and sold anything, Throw that in the chat as well. Have you sold an NFT or have you bought an NFT? Neither. I include myself in that category, by the way. I've never bought or sold an NFT. Um, and although I'm sort of, you know, people came to, to see me speak, I think, you know, Gigi, with your expertise, I think, you know, I could very well be moderating. You could very well be, you know, doing the, the, the brunt of the speaking here. But I think at the end of the day, it's sort of a nebulous sort of thing. It's, it's one of those things that, that's complex, no matter what angle you're at. I mean, from my perspective, coming at this from a legal perspective, it's super complex for, for me as well. So all of the, the ones and the twos and the whatever, I mean, it's, it's completely understandable. I think everyone's still trying to figure out, you know, what this space is about, how, how they can utilize it. Is it right for me as an artist, et cetera. So uh, very interesting. And even as labels, you know, what, what are labels going to do with this? So Matthew, can I have, no, I'm going to go with Matt, Matt, Matthew, Matt, Matt, Matt. Whatever feels natural. Matt is good. Matt. Matt. Um, can you start out though and tell us basically what you do as a lawyer? Cause that will help set the tone for our <clears> conversation. <throat> Sure. Well, I'll start out by saying I, I, I know a bunch about NFTs. I find it fascinating, especially from a legal perspective. I don't look at myself as sort of, you know, specializing in the space per se, although I think it's sort of slowly but surely being integrated into the legal and entertainment space more generally. Um, but having said that, so I'm an entertainment lawyer. Um, I'm a musician myself. I've been, you know, I was a musician long before I got into to law school. Um, and so I think only a matter of time that, you know, when I, uh, went to law school, I think it was only a matter of time before I began to specialize in entertainment law. So on a daily basis, I predominantly help artists. Um, Yes, I have some label and uh, manager and publishing clients, but 90% plus or 95% plus of what I do is legal representation for artists on the talent side. So that would include uh, songwriters, producers, performers, um, all that kind of stuff. And again, on a day-to-day basis, it's everything from publishing deals to record contracts, management deals, producer deals, you know, my client is releasing, hip hop client is releasing X record and is working with eight different uh, producers. And so we need to do eight different producer deals and clear the record and clear samples and all that fun, fun stuff. So that's kind of, you know, it's sort of a sexy version of commercial law. 
is really what I describe. It's it's the same sort of commercial contracts and deal points in most commercial contracts, except um, they're cool clients. I mean, what else can we say? They're, they're just cool clients to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So that's sort of in a nutshell what I do. My head is still with sexy commercial law and sort of thinking how that all fits. Okay. So yeah. for those in the audience who are at ones, and I apologize to the ones we're going to move past one quickly. What is... For you and working with your clients, how do you describe a non-fungible token, an NFT? What do you say when they say, I want to do an NFT, but I don't know what the bleep it is? I mean, the way I describe it at a super high level is sort of a digital certificate of certain rights associated with assets. I think, you know, you can read a million different articles online about uh, what the fungible aspect of non-fungible uh, tokens means. It's that every NFT is is unique. Um, unlike, you know, everyone always uses paper currency as an example of, of the opposite. You know, a $10 bill is a $10 bill no matter what. However, if you have an NFT, there's a specific um, uh, metadata and, and code associated with that digital file that makes it unique, which is registered um, and recorded on the blockchain, which makes it a very, very specific, unique, identifiable um, asset. Um, how's that? Um, <laughs> does that make sense? Well, I was very you... joking before we got on that, it, that it's been explained to me so that if, if this is the underlying asset and this is the contract, you're just buying this, you're not buying this. And we're talking about, you know, what is the worry about rights? So um, what are yeah. the kind of the, the issues that you spot for your clients in getting permission for this to sell this? How does, what are the things to worry about? Yeah. And so I kind of held off on getting into the right space with respect to the definition. I, I think, again, at a high level, the definition, you're, you're essentially buying, um, you know, really a digital asset. But what does that mean from a rights holder perspective? Well, that depends on the contract. That depends on um, the the actual purchase of the of the uh, under of the uh, NFT and what the terms and conditions are associated with that um, NFT. Generally speaking, and again, you can see a million articles online about this. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues and, and considerations is is around ownership. You know, some people think that if they're purchasing an NFT, they're maybe probably buying the underlying intellectual property or copyright associated with that asset. And that's normally just not the case, subject to an agreement to the contrary. So if you buy, you know, um, you know, a one of 10, you know, if you buy number uh, one of 10 uh, uh, NFT uh, piece of digital art, for example, chances are you are not buying the underlying uh, copyright uh, associated with that uh, digital piece of art. Uh, we were talking and joking earlier about the example I've seen online with that art book, Dune. Has anyone heard about that or read that story online? Um, not directly an NFT example, but I think a good example um, to put all this in perspective from a rights holder uh, a perspective. Again, there's this rare art book, uh, Dune. These folks purchased it online, I think, for a very, very, very high value, I think, $2 million, unless, uh, unless uh, I'm misstating that, but folks, feel free to chime in the chat. And they thought they were actually three million. <laughs> there you go. They thought what they were actually purchasing was the underlying copyright associated with that uh, with that book, that that art, that copyright protect, protected material. They were planning to mint NFTs. They were planning to, I think, do movies and TV shows, and they were planning to, you know, commercialize the book and do all these awesome, cool, wild things with this book. But little did they know that they didn't actually own the book. All they really bought was a very expensive book and that's it. I don't know anything about this. I didn't represent any party on either side and I don't know the details. I'm just reading the gossip online. But essentially the contract just simply said just that what they're purchasing is an expensive book. They're not purchasing the underlying copyright. Um, and it doesn't sound like if they were given a license to do anything with that book, it wasn't broad enough to do any of the things that they had contemplated. And so I think that's a good example of you know when you're purchasing something doesn't matter if it's um, a book that you buy from somebody on the street or if it's an NFT that you purchase at a high value um, through um, you know, online. You need to know what you're buying from a rights holder perspective. Are you actually buying the underlying copyright? Probably not. And if you're not purchasing the underlying copyright um, and you're given a license, well, what does that license allow you to do? Like, does the license give you the right to alter it? I mean, maybe not. 
Does it give you the right to commercialize it? I mean, again, probably not, but those are all relevant things that you need to consider before you, you purchase um, an NFT. And I think if you're minting NFTs and on, if you're on the other side creating them, I think you have the same sort of rights holder um, kind of issues at play. You need to make sure that whatever you know smart contract you're, you're doing and drafting and dealing with, you need to be sure as a rights holder, okay, well, what rights am I actually giving to the purchasers of this NFT? And you know you have to be very careful about that. Um, so just I'm just kind of blabbering on about about sort of some of these issues. But from a rights holder perspective, I from my perspective, that like that's the top of the list. You know who owns what, and in the entertainment space, I think that's the case no matter what. Whether you're dealing whether it's NFTs, um, you know if you're an artist signing a contract with a label, well, what rights are you giving them? If you're signing a contract with a uh, with a publisher, what again? What are the rights you're providing? Um, are they old compositions? Are they new compositions? Are they both? Um, you just need to know this stuff. <laughs> uh, so and that's why, on yeah. Men, on the mundane side, so that, let's say that yeah. I have um, a track that I would like to put as part of an NFT. I'm assuming then I need 100% permission from all songwriters, 100% on who owns the master, any other stems, pieces of the puzzle, I need their permission. And what else do I need? And how do I document that? Good question. I mean, um, simply put, the answer is is yes. I mean, if you're going to be uh, dealing with a recorded piece of, of music, um, it's the same thing if for, you know, if you're in the music licensing business and putting music in TV and film, for example, the same sort of thing from my perspective, those fundamental concepts don't change. You need all the rights uh, from the rights holders that would be the owners of the composition could be just songwriters, could be obviously producers who are also songwriters who own a piece of the publishing, um, could, you know, the owner of the sound recording, which may be an individual, as you know, GG, or maybe a label. Um, and you need to really document exactly um, what rights you're getting. And you need to kind of clear, I guess, the NFT in that way. I mean, if you're dealing, like, for example, just for example, let's just say you're dealing with one record label who owns 100% of the, the sound recording. And let's just say you're dealing with five different um, owners of the underlying composition. I mean, unless one of those songwriters has been given administration rights for all of those other four songwriters, I mean, presumably you would need to get uh, written authorization from all five songwriters to clear the composition side. And additionally, um, you would need something from, from the label. Um, and that's just like the song side. I mean, if you're dealing with a piece of visual art, um, you know, same sort of thing. You would need to track down the rights holders. Um, you know, trademark becomes an issue as well. I mean, is there is there a trademark kind of um, that is integrated within a particular piece of digital art that no one's really noticed? And if you're reproducing that NFT, maybe you have you know permission from um, uh, from the 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 rights holder who did maybe the piece of art. But is there somehow or for some reason? a trademark or a logo or something that got integrated into that, that you also need to clear. So lots of rights holders at play here and can be uh, really kind of tricky to navigate, I think, things from a clearance perspective. Um, so yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, David put a couple notes in the thing. Thank you, David. Um, one of them, um, uh, how we know this digital asset's gonna have value later. And then also, is there an NFT controlling organization? So. Maybe it's worth talking about the difference between a digital good and an NFT in this, because any digital good, you kind of exchanging it for dollars, you don't have the question of the value and the blockchain it's on. Here we're creating something that we're putting on a smart contract system. Are, are we having to then have a new type of entity, or maybe we do, that is the one who's going to make sure it gets placed, that there's secondary revenues that come back, you get almost a residual stream. Does that mean you've got a new type of company or does that mean the label's got a new set of responsibilities to then bring in new revenue? How's that? What's the entity in this now? <laughs> um, the shorter answer is, I don't know. Um, I don't understand there to be sort of a broader kind of controlling entity that's going to, you know, track all of these revenue streams in the NFT sort of space. And if folks have a different understanding of that, I mean, please chime in and let me know. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm an entertainment lawyer, but I'm learning about this sort of as I go along as, as along with everybody else. Um, so I think from an administration perspective, a royalty collection perspective, 
uh, a tracking perspective, there's got to be, you know, each individual rights holder um, uh, who has control over monetizing the NFT presumably needs to be the one to, to track that. Um, uh, unless sort of digitally um, revenue from, you know, secondary sales, for example, like let's just say there's an artist that's going to participate, you know, participate in a royalty for every uh, new sale of say that uh, NFT. I mean, I'm not sure if, if digitally those are automatic royalties going back to that particular rights holder through a particular platform, or if that's something that needs to be tracked um, outside of that. I don't know if Gigi, you know, the I don't know. I'm, I'm already getting a migraine headache thinking about this today as we're going through the level of detail because it's people going, I just want to sell this thing and get the rights and permission. And, and, you know, what is then the new set of of people I'm exposed to as an artist that could then I've got to audit, I got to track down. Um, and then there's also, which we'll, we won't go down this rabbit hole because we're, we're still mostly hanging out in the ones and twos world, but some of these are all then um, are buildable NFT so that somebody can now build new assets. It's like, okay, this is a rabbit hole. We'll look to maybe share links on afterwards. What, yeah. what are the real things to worry about though? So I'm an artist. I want to do this. My people say to do this. What do, what risks am I taking on and, and what am I doing to build the relationship with my fans? Yeah. So, I mean, I think from a, from a risk perspective, I think it would be the same as um, any sort of commercial venture in music outside NFT, which is number one, making sure that you have um, the, the correct rights. And if you don't, it would be infringement. Um, if, you know, it, it, copyright infringement, if you're minting an NFT or you're doing something with an NFT that you don't have the rights to do, um, simply put, it's it's copyright infringement. Um, you know, there's a legal battle going on right now. And Gigi, we chatted about this before with Jay-Z and uh, his label, uh, Rockefeller. Um, you know, I think the minority shareholder in the company is trying to mint uh, one of Jay's first records. And the complaint from Jay-Z's side or the label side is that this individual just doesn't have the right to, to do so. And so even at the highest of levels right now, there's... Um, you know, there's there's an ongoing sort of legal dispute about who has the right to do what. So, clear example of the risk. Well, you'd get you'd get sued if you try to mint an NFT that you just don't have the rights to mint, um, and to reproduce and to put out there in the world. Um, but what I was going to say earlier was, um, you know, if you are a you know if you're an independent artist, for example, and you have a producer who produced your track. Um, and let's just say that producer is getting points or royalties on the master side for working with you. I mean, let's just leave NFTs uh, out of this completely. I mean, you need to account to that producer um, in theory indefinitely for the points owed to that producer under that producer deal. Um, if you have a label, maybe it gets a little bit easier because maybe the label will account to that producer directly and, and uh, will sort of take care of the, uh, the statements on behalf of, of the artist in that regard. But in the NFT world, from my perspective, it's the exact same thing. If there are particular rights holders involved that um, are going to get a certain cut, presuming you have the rights to, to mint the NFT and to reproduce it and do whatever you need to do with it, assuming you have the rights, probably one commercial question and risk is, you know, am I equipped to be able to um, uh, account to the correct uh, people? You know, maybe there are platforms in which that can automatically be done. And if there are folks um, on the, the, the call right now that want to put something into the chat about, you know, those particular third-party sites who, who, who may be able to uh, simplify how that monetization takes place. I'd be, you know, it's super interested to know if they're out there and, and who those are. But otherwise, yeah, like any old-fashioned sort of entertainment uh, contract or deal where you're owing royalties to an, another party, you're going to have to do the same thing in the world of, of NFTs. And I don't know, maybe I'm, over, maybe I'm oversimplifying this, Gigi, but from my perspective, although we're dealing in a very interesting innovative, I'm not going to say new because NFTs are not new, as you know, um, but obviously lots of hype given, you know, what's the, what's the NFT market worth these days, Gigi? Is it $3 billion? Is it? I've, I've been reading different numbers every day now um, that we've really though sculpted up dramatically um, even into this year. Um, yeah. I, I, last number I read was by the end of 2021, it was something like 3 billion. I mean, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. Um, but, you know, we're dealing with a huge, huge uh, sort of market here. But despite that, we're, we're still dealing with fundamental principles of intellectual property, getting the right rights, clearing everything you need to get cleared, who are the rights holders, 
checking those boxes, doing your due diligence, reviewing contracts and making sure you know, you know, if you do have an NFT, so what? Like, are you, you know, do you just brag about it at your cocktail parties or do you have the right to do something else with it? And I think for the most part, my understanding is generally speaking, it's the former. Um, and, and unless you specifically have a written agreement to the contrary, you're not able to do a whole lot more other than um, have it. And maybe if it increases in value, maybe, um, then maybe you can make money off it if you're interested in, in doing that. I'm avoiding the securities law uh, rabbit hole that we chatted about earlier, Gigi, but we won't go there, but another maybe consideration. Well, maybe we will. Okay, so there are people, <laughs> and I was pitched yet another company this past week that is wanting to use NFT type structures to raise fractional funds ahead of production of music. So um, that company was avoiding the United States where I am and taking it to the UK where you could be um, having security, essentially securities created without giving securitization for approval from the government, but, uh, or from the regulators. And, and that would avoid like a prospectus requirement, in other words. Either, and and okay. also that you have to have people of a certain net worth to buy in and, and, gotcha. and all of that stuff. But um, it, it sounds like there's other parties for that. So you could have someone coming to you with an NFT solution to raise money for your next album. Um, have you seen that? Is that something that you would worry about for your clients? Is that something that is a greater fool theory in, in the mix? Um, is is taking prospective content and making it into some kind of a fundable contract? I just look at the risk of all this going, I'm an artist, this sounds complicated. Am yeah. I stepping into something where I'm going to have liability, where I'm going to be screwed over? where I'm going to be losing my assets. What should, you know, what's the good smelling smart things here? Um, yeah, so my caveat is, you know, I do corporate law, I'm not a securities lawyer. Um, I think generally, um, and I have seen some of that, our firm is, has dealt with something to that effect. And, and I know there's a whole lot of other candy law firms that are dealing with stuff like that. Generally, I think the consensus is it's all on a sort of case by case basis. And I think folks are still kind of wrestling, you know, there's been some direction, as I understand it, from, you know, Canadian uh, securities commissions as to whether, um, you know, minting an F NFT or dealing with an NFT is actually dealing with a security, which brings a whole host of, of, of issues and considerations. I think, um, generally speaking, though, if an NFT is created that creates some sort of common enterprise, which I think is sort of like the lingo um, used from some Canadian jurisprudence. I'm not sure if it's similar in the United States, Gigi, because I know you're, you're in LA. Um, and if you're raising capital for some other kind of venture, I think generally speaking, that's thought of as a little bit of a red flag and something that you need to get assessed. I think the take home for sure is that if you're a business, a company um, looking to get into this sort of market and world, I think you need a specialized minimum entertainment lawyer that knows something about corporate law, maybe that's myself, but maybe who also um, has securities background or has access to securities uh, law group, which I do as well. So I don't have 10 files on my desk right now with these sorts of um, facing these complexities, but definitely you need to go through that sort of analysis to know whether or not you're actually going to be dealing with um, securities. I'm doing um, actually moderating a panel through Canadian Music Week. It's like the digital series. It's actually, I think, a week from today. It's with Ed Shapiro and Susan Abramovich. And uh, Susan Abramovich will be speaking in detail about NFTs and also securities law implications as well. At least I'm going to ask her about that. So I, th I think she's, uh, she's regarded as someone that knows a, little, uh, a whole lot about um, uh, NFTs and particularly the securities law implications. So we'll cover more of that in that session if folks want to tune in for that. Um, so going back to your original question, Gigi, I think there are live issues and considerations. Again, I think if there's sort of a, um, a common enterprise or commercial arrangement being created beyond just the buying and selling of an NFT and, um, you know, the recipient or the purchaser just saying, okay, great, now I have it, that's it. Um, then I think you're running the risk of, you know, maybe um, running foul of, of securities legislation. You don't want to do that. Um, so get the appropriate legal assistance you need beforehand before you kind of get, um, before you touch this space at all. That's my, that would be my two cents for sure.
So I'm going to swing back to what both Dave and David are saying with great examples in the chat, which is the, why is this worth anything? Um, is that a good synopsis, guys, of what's being said in the <laughs> chat? Um, why in the world, you know, example was that, you know, somebody buying the Charlie Bit My Finger video, one of the first big YouTube videos as an NFT, you know, why in the world, you know, uh, why is this worth anything? Is this like a work of art? Is this like a limited edition leather jacket? I mean, is it just that we've created a digital version of an exclusive item? I so so listen, I don't have any a greater insight than anyone else on that question. My own two cents is I just kind of shake my head reading some of these articles, and I think so. So, you know, whenever you talk about real estate with folks and Halifax is going in everywhere real estate's going in. I mean, a house is only worth what someone's prepared to, to pay for it. Um, the same with my perspective with an NFT, it's only worth whatever somebody's prepared to pay for it. I mean, obviously those folks that are spending millions of dollars on digital art either want the bragging rights and they have the disposable money and they're good to do that, or they feel like um, they can sell it. I kind of almost think that this, this exclusive, this exclusivity, and this exclusive club for this time, like as of right now, is really driving up the value of these NFTs. And I'm just interested to see what will happen in the next year or two to see if this can ever um, sustain. Um, I also worry about the regulatory environment. You know, we talked earlier about the securities issues. I wonder if it only takes one bad example before of, of someone, um, again, running foul of securities legislation and getting hit really hard with a fine or a penalty before the value plummets. I mean, I have no idea, but in the back of my mind, that's that's sort of what I think about. Um, I, I think it's a bit crazy, but it's certainly very interesting. But I think the positive up upside is that some artists are finding really innovative, um, cool ways of, of uh, monetizing their music and their art. And if artists can do that, all the power to them. You know, everyone always talks about the Kings of Leon example and um, you know, the, uh, Can you share you know, more on that, though, so in case people don't know it? Well, as I understand it, and, um, Kings of Leon, with their last uh, record, offered a limited edition NFT of their last album. And in addition to that, they offered, I believe, uh, six VIP-related experience tickets, which included, I think, front row uh, seats to their concert for life. And I think there were six limited edition NFTs associated with that. I think combined, you know, they, they made, you know, millions and millions. And I think one of the first sort of um, very, very well-known um, examples over the last few years of a band, you know, well-known artist really, really monetizing um, uh, their their art and their live performance through NFTs and, man, all the power to them. Like, that's what a great idea, what a great opportunity. Um, there were folks prepared to pay big money for it and, and they were able to do that. And if um, managers, um, artists, um, you know, can find ways to to make you know uh, to monetize again the experience, the live music experience, or you know their clients' arts, music, etc. I think that's a that's a great day for for creators. Where this market is going to be in the next two years or three years, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe it, it can it, it continues to um, skyrocket and, and values go up. And but I do worry about the regulatory environment and and uh, what that's going to look like in the next few years. So I think all for all those NFT uh, nerds who, out there who are monitoring this stuff, I think that's sort of an important piece to pay attention to and and seeing what securities commissions are thinking and suggesting and, and all that kind of stuff. And then does, also, that, does that even come close to answering your question, by the way? Well, we got a lot of great <laughs> conversations and thank you guys for continuing this you know, in the in the chat. I mean, so part of it is, are we creating something that is of extremely high value for a few people? Are people gonna feel ripped off? Um, are we having, you know, people turning all sorts of things? And, and we also have Live Nation that just came out with their stubs that you're gonna get a, a digital ticket stub that's gonna be also um, a, a blockchain element that you're gonna then have, where you're gonna have a tradable coming out. So are we turning into this I'm just sort of thinking as an artist, am I creating all this digital dust that's all locked up, that's trying to create scarcity in a streaming world? Am I creating value for my fan? Am I creating relationship with my fan? Or am I creating this entire kind of, you know, new currency that is going to be exclusive to fandom and community that my fans are going to feel ripped off by? Um, you know, 
I, I still think that we're look we look back in my space to find out what we looked like back then and we create a whole ecosystem around that that's not worth much of anything. So there's my cynicism hat on this. Um, what's the downside yeah. for your clients in any of this stuff? Is there or is it just being smart? Um, I don't know if there's, again, this is maybe me putting on a manager hat or something rather than, rather than a legal hat. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of downside, a downside for artists, uh, to get into this space, um, depending on how valuable their time is. <laughs> I think they, you know, artists and, you know, artists that have managers, um, I think it depends on the discussions between artists themselves or in conjunction with management into how valuable um, a market this could be for the particular artist. I mean, um, I have some clients um, and their managers are having lots of discussions and are in this space and are doing it and seem to be doing very, very well. Um, not a huge part of that. They're sort of doing their thing, some maybe general advice at the outset, but that's sort of it. And I think there are a whole lot of other artists that think to themselves, you know what, this just isn't for me. I just wanna keep creating great music um, I'll be on socials, although even that's taking its toll on me because I can't create 20 stories a day, but they're more focused on just putting out great music and art in, into the world and building their fan base the old fashioned way. Um, no matter what, you know, I, I think everyone's going to figure out how much time they're, they're um, willing to dedicate to this space and whether it's going to be, um, you know, a, a valuable sort of endeavor for them or whether they're going to be seeing diminishing returns for the amount of time they put in versus the the monetary value they get out so that's sort of like has nothing to do with the law just my general kind of high level thinking cap that's what it comes down to um that's what it comes down to for me i don't know what others folk uh, what other folks in the chat uh feel like i'm seeing lots of discussion but i can't read any of it i'm sure they're all awesome <laughs> awesome and insightful comments um what other uh textbook sort of legal thing i did want to mention though before maybe gg go to some of the comments is this concept of moral rights, which I was thinking about as I was walking to my car uh, to try to find my headset, which I couldn't ultimately, but I got I got the headset from somebody else. Um, between that walk and up to back up to my office, I was thinking, well, moral rights is still an issue at play here, just that old-fashioned term moral rights. So when you um, you know when you create a piece of art, you know if you're a songwriter and you create a song, um, you have moral rights to that uh, to that composition. Um, and even if you sign a publishing deal, for example, and you assign control over that composition to another party, um, as the author under the Copyright Act, um, same, excuse me, in the United States, but I'm speaking in terms of Canadian Copyright Act here, is you have moral rights to that particular uh, copyrightable um, uh, composition. And what that means is you have the right to the integrity of the work, you have the right to be named in association with that work, you have the right um, to ensure that that work is not, you know, mutilated or distorted or changed, um, uh, which impacts the integrity of the work and blah, 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 blah. And so I think about NFTs as well as, you know, again, you have these underlying rights holders in the NFTs. And I think it probably goes back to the discussion that we had earlier about, you know, if you purchase an NFT, what rights do you have? And I'm not sure if others on the, on the call are familiar with any examples that are playing out in the media or something, but I can foresee a, a world or circumstances in which someone who purchased an NFT is doing something that maybe calls into question the integrity of the work, and you've got the underlying rights holder saying, no, 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 you can't do that. How do they enforce their rights? You know, let's just say someone in Saudi Arabia or Brazil purchased this NFT and they have displayed this, you know, digital art, we'll say, or comp composition somewhere, um, and the original rights holder or author who still has moral rights doesn't like the way in which that NFT is being used or presented or whatever. Well, what's the remedy there? What do you do? And maybe that goes back to Gigi, your point about what are the risks? I mean, maybe that's one is being, you know, a rights holder and an author. You know, again, rights holder and authors can be can be different, but assuming the author still uh, has their moral rights and hasn't waived moral rights, this issue of, well, do you, do you lose a little bit of control about how your art gets put out there in the world? And you have a means to, you know, to prevent that or stop that either by contract or, um, you know, or some other remedy. And I have no idea uh, if a client called me and said they've got the, this issue with a moral rights concern and someone who has their NFT is using it this way. And, uh, you know, they're part of this uh, fascist political party and it's being used at all these cocktail parties. Like, how would you prevent that or stop that or how would you um, 
you know, maybe enforce your moral rights. And, and so just something I was thinking about, which is maybe also a, a consideration, but that, again, that's nothing new. Moral rights have been around for a very long time and, and that's part of the, that should be part of the discussion as well. The neurotic ex-banker in me is also thinking, this really, I, I have to really rethink how I would wanna get errors and emissions insurance that you know you you could be tripped up so easily by having a t not crossed or somebody else and then suddenly you've got something coming in not just moral rights but anything coming back at you for this that wasn't cleanly done and people probably are not making sure anybody's got you know when they're doing some of this and packaging them up so for sure but that's my nerdy ex-banker hat um so we've got lots of great stuff in the chat we don't have any necessarily additional questions rolling in let me while the questions are coming in um I just keep thinking also that someone's got to be playing whack-a-mole for me as an artist to find where the bleep my stuff went. And because these are not that, you know, Joe Smith's names attached to an NFT. It's got code on it without me seeing who owns the darn thing. There's a whole kind of bizarre audit trail to to make sure that my stuff's not being manhandled in the line. But we were we were promised yeah. to talk about other digital stuff and the metaverse. Um, so I was going to say, if anybody wants to talk about the metaverse or has questions, um, feel free to also put them in the chat. But let me sort of take the broader stance. What are the things that you need to think about as an artist now with all these new digital directions to go? Wow, Dave wrote a long thing while he's <laughs> while I'm reading that. Um, directions to go, concerns, being ready for the next stages of new digital assets, art forms that my art could come into. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> um, I got a question. I mean, again, not to sort of dodge the question, but for me, it comes back to the fundamentals about controlling your work. And if you don't control your work, um, knowing who does. So, it, you know, for example, if you are an artist, musician, and you're signing a, 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 a record deal with, with a label, um, what does it say about NFTs? What does it say about the metaverse? Uh, you know, if it doesn't say anything about either of those two, is there any language that can be used to interpret the label, for example, as having rights to do X, Y, or Z with your work in the NFT space, in the metaverse space? In my experience, labels, for example, are incorporating NFT language into their labels, uh, label uh, deals. Um, not seeing anything unique or specific to to the metaverse. <laughs> not sure if that's required, but you know, presumably, if if the record label, for example, has the exclusive right and control, potentially in perpetuity, um, to your work and maybe possibly to the copyright and the sound recordings. I mean, potentially they can use it in the metaverse without any issue. Um, so so sort of my where my head initially goes is like understanding who has the right to your work and what can they do with it? And as we focus on NFTs now in the metaverse and all these weird, wacky ways of, of using songs and sound recordings and art more generally, um, are you transferring rights to third parties to use um, uh, your copyright protected materials in that way or not? So I think step number one is just figuring out who's got control over the work. If you have control over your work, um, you have the ability, presumably, um, how difficult enforcement of remedies are in the metaverse. I mean, a whole different sort of story there, probably. But I think step number one is ensuring you know who controls the work. Um, and then step number two is if someone else has control over the work, well, what rights do they have? And again, does that include NFTs? Does that include um, metaverse? All that sort of stuff. I think about trademark implications in the metaverse. I mean, uh, presumably, um, you know, if the artist has a logo or um, image, right? Because you could be image, showing up likeness. as a version of yourself. Exactly. Um, you know, I think of, you know, the issues that that transpired with holographic shows and all that kind of stuff. Is that a difference? Is that a different sort of thing um, in the regular world versus the, the, the metaverse? That sort of language I see worked into some contracts as well. So again, from an old fashioned sort of perspective, it's, you know, understanding your contracts, your deals, being specific about um, how these other parties have the right to use your work. If you want to prevent prevent them from using it in a certain kind of way, you've got to um, draft your contracts accordingly. And um, so that's kind of my initial sort of old fashioned kind of take on that, how, um, you know, how to avoid sort of risks and pitfalls. It's just that it comes back to that control issue. 
um, related issue, and then um, Lionel has a, a comment here. Don't you hold the don't the rights you hold in the universe translate to the metaverse automatically? Did they stand in the proxy of sync rights essentially then, so that you're in a it's a type of sync that if you have all I mean, is it a separately carved out space? Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a good question. And, and further to my earlier comment, I, I would think in the case of the metaverse, for example, that if the territory under a record contract is the universe or the world or what have you, that the rights being given to a record label, for example, are probably broad enough to incorporate into the metaverse. I haven't been in a direct dispute about that. Um, just like, for example, from a synchronization perspective, um, for a sync deal, you, as folks may or may not know, like you need two rights to, to uh, for for the purposes of a sync deal, um, you need you know the master use license to use the sound recording, and you also need um, the 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 sync right, the sync license, which is the reproduction of the song um, itself. Assuming the label controls the sound recording, um, they under uh, record contracts have the right to issue master use licenses. So. Again, does that translate and relate to the metaverse? I mean, probably. Um, I don't see why it wouldn't per se. And you're right. Like sometimes the ter the territory language within these deals is the universe. Um, and so probably does that include the metaverse? I mean, probably does. Um, but uh, but so I would uh, think that gaming is a proxy space, right? So that you're really taking this into an expanded game environment. And so you'd have all the sets of rights that you would have in a game environment. Um, and and my cynical hat on this is the the metaverse you know look back at second life and many other you know this is not a new space guys uh but it is getting a lot of heat light money romance stuff happening yeah. with with a whole new audience showing up yeah and i think that the the point you raised Gigi, about the the, the likeness and the image is is a more interesting one um and maybe more critical for the artist um you know um you know, can could a label, for example, who's given generally speaking name and likeness rights, um, uh, you know, for the for the purpose of marketing and promotion of, of sound recordings and records, will say, um, is that name and likeness and image clause broad enough to do the things that maybe um, you know music partners may want to do in in the metaverse space? I don't know, um, and maybe something for folks to really sort of consider if you're an artist. Um, you know, your, your image, your likeness uh, is of huge value. It's, to, it's kind of everything in a way. Um, how will that, you know, be used uh, five, 10 years from now? Um, and again, I think of sort of holographic sort of uh, tours, um, uh, you know, who, I mean, there were a lot of great holographic tours. I've not been to one, but heard lots of great things about them and, and seen some of them. But, but I think of, of those and whether or not those artists have, have given those rights to their label, whether there's been any pushback on, on those sort of issues. And I kind of see parallels there uh, between sort of the holographic tours uh, versus um, uh, metaverse. Um, so interesting world. I mean, who knows what we'll see in the next five, 10 years, but, but I do think the name and likeness language and clauses need to be looked at pretty closely, especially today. And, and uh, I'm starting to do that on behalf of my clients um, um, pretty carefully given to the, the world in which we're, we're living right now. So Matt, we are um, have a little bit of time left, but um, if someone does want to get a hold of you while we're seeing if there's any other questions before we finish up here, how yeah. would they get a hold of you and, and what, what are you offering in terms of guidance in this respect for current and future clients? Well, don't call me with NF NFT. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> feel free to do that. Um, so my email is is m uh, gorman at caught. I'll put it in the uh, chat. Because uh, I think it's sped by earlier on. And then of course, yeah. folks, if you want to hit the three dots, you'll see um, be able to save chat and save all of this conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just put uh, my Ocean Town music email as well. Uh, and while you're doing that, I guess I have a thought and then I guess a, a, a question. Um, the thought is that um, I tend to look at a lot of this stuff and say, does this fit my fans? Mm -hmm. You know, am, am I hanging with a highly tech group of fans where this is already in their head and heart space? Or am I trying to work with a group of fans where I'm going to have to drag them into this? And maybe there's a new twist and avenue for this. Um, but if if I'm... Uh, a small label, an artist. What is the 
how do I figure out who to play with here? How do I figure out, you know, to trust a company and an organization? Is it within my work with my council to help me kick the tires on if these guys are jackasses in this space? How do I do this on a safe and sane basis? Is it, do I yeah. come into a room like this and say, hey, who can recommend someone who won't screw me over? Um, I, I think so. And, and again, my, my theme here today is I'm looking, you know, although, um, you know, new innovative ways of, of using art, I think the same kind of legal concepts and principles um, apply as, as they always have. And on that point, Gigi, I think it's a good one. It's like if a, if a potential client or a client calls me and says, hey, I want to look for a label, who do I get? Um, I mean, it's a, that's not a legal question. But it, it's certainly a very good question. They need to understand who your music partners are. And I think uh, whether you're looking at labels or publishers or working with producers, um, working with side artists, whatever, it's no different between that and also, you know, companies to potentially mint an NFT on your behalf or, or whatever. I think you need to ask around, do your own due diligence, look into companies, figure out how much money is being made, um, read your smart contracts, ensure you understand what's going on um, with the, the terms and conditions associated with that. Um, if you have an existing label or existing publisher, figure out whether what's being presented to you is consistent with those underlying agreements is a, is a huge consideration as well. Because like we were talking about earlier, Gigi, if, an, uh, if a performer signs a record contract with, uh, with a label who has exclusive control over sound recordings, well, you know, forget being able to work, you know, throughout and the territory is the universe or the world. I mean, forget working probably with another NFT company who wants to utilize your, your sound recordings unless there is a partnership that takes place and there are certain um, licensing rights or there are certain um, transfer of, of rights appropriate to make that deal happen. And again, that's not new to this space. That happens all the time and making sure underlying artist agreements are consistent with one another. And if they're not, ensuring that uh, other music partners are, are uh, hooked up and figure out how to, you know, how to make a deal happen. I don't think there's any difference between what goes on in, you know, um, now currently in those other spaces versus the NFT space. Any other questions from our live out of studio audience? Um, anything else that people want to share now elaborate on? It looks like um, Daryl's either talking from his airplane or had the world's shortest flight um, or and got kicked off the plane and we're now catching him back at the airport because he did something. Nah, that couldn't be it. Daryl wouldn't do anything inappropriate on a flight. Hey, no, Daryl. I, I was just checking through security, so all good. Now I got to wait for the flight. Ah. Um, yeah, so so that was great. I was able to listen all the way through too, so that was good. Um, I could add a couple of things that I've seen at South by that was interesting. Oh, uh, and we'll talk more about it in detail next week. And we're actually trying to get one of the speakers of South by as a guest next week, um, talk about some of the launches that happened. Um, Matt had mentioned holograms, and that was a big thing uh, that I saw. Um, basically, instant holograms where they had, you could walk up and all of a sudden a holograms created of your likeness and they could turn you into like Batman or the Joker or anything like that instantly. It was really cool. Um, so it was really, it was very interesting to see how instant that technology has now become. Uh, and it looked very real. It was, it was pretty amazing. Also, uh, scanners, um, where they would scan your entire body and all of a sudden in two minutes, it would render a likeness of yourself. And then it was where it's going with his, uh, fashion. You'd be able to try on any clothes that you want before wanting to purchase. And that's a real big thing. So in two minutes, you have a full complete likeness of yourself. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but I, I did want to talk about metaverse stuff a little bit because that was definitely a hot thing, uh, at South by, um, something to think about is, you know, how do you start? Well, as a musician, you had to start somewhere in what instrument do you choose? Did you buy the right guitar? You might've not have and sold and all that. It's, it's a bit of trial and error. And I think we, we all get to a stage in our life where we want kind of the answer now. We want it real easy. But I think that this is another progression of just like learning an instrument. It takes time and you have to rehearse. You got to try stuff and it might not work the first time, uh, but you got to keep trying and figuring it out. I know I need to. I haven't jumped in yet myself, and I'm very interested in doing so. 
Uh, I've talked to a number of people about it uh, to try to educate myself as best I can. But um, it is something that is very interesting to note that it's moving forward and we're not going backwards. So this is something that you got to look at. Do I want to be a part of it? And I think with everything, you can pick your own lane. You don't have to do absolute everything and know absolutely everything. You go, this is my space in this tech world and, and audience is there. And I think that this is a huge opportunity to connect with fans directly and build long-term relationships, which turns into financial gains. As we know, fans buy merch and fans buy stuff. Um, and digital merch is probably going to be one of the easiest things to make and sell. Uh, and I think it's more about volume. So if you think of something like Fortnite, uh, there could be a certain t-shirt for an avatar to wear and it's like $2, but a million people buy that shirt. That's worth a lot of money. So I think that there's different ways that we need to think about it. So that's my two and, cents from LAX. And Daryl, just a quick question for you, unless you're, sure. uh, um, no, I mean, on that piece and, and where, where my head goes around the metaverse is I speak to a lot of clients on a regular basis through the pandemic and, and, and now who are going through a sort of weird fatigue where there's so much being thrown at them. You know, they're working on, of course, their music, <laughs> their music and their songs, and they've got fatigue through social media use and uh, making sure engagement is up, making sure comment, they're generating comments, they're putting stories, they're keeping up to date on Twitter, putting clever things out there. Um, they're thinking about NFTs. They're thinking, hey, am I behind here? There's a certain emotional sort of anxiety associated with being sort of left behind in the NFT space. And now, and now with the metaverse, um, it's easy for me to say I play drums once a week with some cool session musicians and I call it a day. I do my legal practice. But, but if I'm an artist and performer in today's world um, and even a manager trying to monetize and work all these different angles, I've got to think it's just so anxiety inducing to try to keep up on all this stuff. Um, I think if you're an established artist and you've got a great team of people behind you, probably pretty easy to jump into some of these worlds and avenues and monetize it. I wonder, Daryl, if that kind of stuff was talked about at all for the developing artist who's just trying to figure out how do I spend the, my, my 24 hours in, in the day? And, uh, and, and I don't know. I, I, that's where my head kind of goes with some of this stuff. I was going to yeah. say for a lot of South by there was a lot of that whole conversation, not just for musicians, um, a lot on the mental health, attention, uh, attention economy, carving it out. Um, I, I put my contact information in the chat. Glad to talk about the bigger concept of how do I retool my organization and my own identity for this stuff. Uh, I've been hanging out in the metaverse for years already. Um, and there's some interesting things going on about how your fans can be identified identifying and dealing with that themselves ready player me i'm assuming was all over that where they're creating one whole avatar of who you are no matter where you go and you're buying already your clothing and we're in this really confusing time where people are really thinking about how do i bring this into my practice so um i ended up enjoying south by remotely the whole time instead of going this year so i, I totally envy daryl's participating in going there this year yeah well well if i could comment on what Matt was saying about the mental health, there definitely was discussions of it. I myself didn't go to those ones. Um, the way I look at it is, and people may have heard me draw this comparison in past conversations is think of it like sports. And I think that artists and everybody in this space is just trying to do everything all the time and they get burnout, like social media all the time, always on all that kind of stuff. One work really smart. And if you look at sports, they have an off season. They have a preseason, they have training camp. They have the season, then they have playoffs, they have the finals. And there's a different levels of intensity throughout the year. So there's an ebb and flow. But the, the thing that it, it, about it is it's structured. So they know when to push hard, when to lay back, when to practice, when not to. Um, so it's not like, random every day and i think that's one of the things that artists do oh i should be doing twitter and and they jump to that oh but should i be writing songs and then they it's it's a constant hamster wheel and so if you one follow almost like a really structured daily routine 
figure out a weekly routine, figure out a monthly routine and figure out the year when to tour, when to promote, when to release single and when to write it and record it and all that stuff. So, um, and it, you know, this still falls back, back in the day. Like I remember talking to one of the bands that I wanted to book and I would talk to, you know, my friend who's a drummer and he's like, I don't do the bookings. Talk to Corb, the bassist, he does the bookings. So it's delegated out within their team who does what. But then when I wanted to book him, he's like, no, we're not touring at that time. We're writing, we're recording. So you got to kind of turn blinders on to all the distractions when you're doing one certain task. And then when you move on to the next one, you're not doing that other one anymore. You got to stop it. And it's, it's a bit of a training process to get into that type of routine. Um, and you'll find that you can accomplish so much more by doing so much less. And it, it's really interesting. Um, and beware of tools like Hootsuite, Later, Meet Edgar, where you can schedule all your socials. Um, one of the artists I know, he actually literally spends about six months writing, recording, creating all the content. And then it's scheduled for the next six months. Scheduled. So he's not actually writing on social media. It looks like he is, but it's all scheduled. And, and so it allows him to focus on marketing and promoting his tours and things like that. So, so I think that's good sense, gotta compartmentalize. Yeah. I think that's the approach and it's too many people have been hit with too much right now. And there is that fatigue and there is that burden that's happening right now. You can see it. So, um, any Matt, any comment on your end for that? That makes total sense, Daryl. Um, I think, and uh, Gigi, I think you uh, you made a comment as well, and and what not to do or what to stop doing. I think, right. I mean, I think that can translate to no matter what anyone does for their work and, and music is, is really no different. I'm sure there's a lot of things that people, if they actually sit down and figure out what they're doing with their day, realize they, they either don't need to do that task or they're spending too much time doing it. But I think to your point, Daryl, I mean, organization is key. Um, obviously I've, I've long taken off my legal hat. I'm just, I'm sort of in this for the good conversation right now. So don't have any other uh, or any sort of further insights um, than anyone else on this topic. But um, I, I like organization seems like it's absolutely critical i would think with so much going on and so many different ways to put your music out there in the world from tiktok your instagram account your twitter your metaverse stuff your nft endeavor all that endeavors all that kind of stuff um you got to really map it out or else um or get a good team to do it for you right and if you it with it being mapped out and scheduled it allows you to connect the dots because i i also see people will focus on one area like tiktok and then other areas start falling behind. Uh, and if you can kind of find a way to centralize all that audience into one space, uh, then you can gain a lot more power. Um, I see the time is up for our session. That's really crazy. Uh, Gigi, do you have any last comments? Um, there'll be something new next. So how do you figure out where to harvest your work and where to invest your time? Um, some new, something's going to come and we're going to go, wow, that seems really old fashioned that we were looking at NFTs. So, um, you know, to get a good practice on how you look at the next new digital thing so that you're not hamster wheel spinning. And some of it's finding great lawyers, great advisors, great people like Daryl to kind of be the, the, the tech whisperer as to the, what you need to worry about and then who do you bring in to be your partner in crime um, and to me how do you reduce your risk and make this work for you and your fans and not just the next big thing so. i love that that's that's right on thanks you so much gg uh i love that comment uh matt any last comments from you um not really daryl other than just to say like if you're an artist a songwriter if you work in the creative space and your job is to put art out there in the world, I love you for that. Keep doing what you're doing and focus on making good art and good music. And I think at the end of the day, no matter what, it comes down to having a great product um, and, uh, and hopefully everything else follows. So good luck out there and get in touch. If you need any support on the legal side, I'd be happy to chat with anybody. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt and Gigi for uh, spending time with us today.
You've been listening to the Indie Weekly Podcast. Be sure to visit IndieWeek.com for all the information on the conferences for 2022. Screen by Screen, Music and Tech in February. Indie 101, Music and Business Education in May. Music Pro Summit, high-level music industry insight from professionals in September. And Indie Week brings it all together in November. Thanks for listening.